reading from Luke 18, 35 through 43. As he draw near to, Jer to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. In hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Jennifer, for reading for us today. A very concerned husband went to the family doctor. He said this, I think my wife is deaf. She never hears me the first time I say something. In fact, I happen to often repeat things over and over and over again. And so the doctor replies, well, there's something we can do about that. Let's, let's have you go home tonight. And I, what I want you to do is stand about 15 feet from her and say something. And if she doesn't reply, then move about five feet closer and say it again and keep doing that so that we can get an idea of the severity of her deafness. He says, okay, I can do that. So sure enough, he goes home and he does exactly as he's instructed. He stands about 15 feet from his wife. She is standing at the kitchen counter cutting some vegetables uh, facing away from him. And he says, honey, what's for dinner? He gets no response. And so he moves five feet closer and he asks again, honey, what's for dinner? Again, no response. And so he does it a third time. He moves a little closer. Honey, What's for dinner? No reply, still. And so he gets really fed up at this point. He, he goes right behind her. He is, is about an inch away from her ear, and he asks one final time, Honey, what's for dinner? She says, For the fourth time, vegetable stew. <laughs> it took you a little longer than the first service, but you got there. Good job. Well done. Well done. We live in a world that is hard of hearing, right? It is very rare to find people who really do listening well. And so uh, I, I throw, I'm going to throw a quote up in front of you. Um, the opposite of listening is not speaking, it's waiting to speak. How many of you have been there? Yes. Uh, maybe you are in that conversation and you're looking at that person, their lips are moving, uh, they are looking at you, but you have no idea what they're saying. Why? Because you and I do this too, we, we are thinking about only what we are going to say next. 
We're not really listening. We're just trying to cue up the brilliant thing that is going to come from our own tongue because the world won't just be right. It won't be the same unless I get my punchline in or unless I get my insight into the conversation or my intelligence or my knowledge or my story or my experience. Something's got to be about me and it's got to get into the conversation and so we fail to listen. Maybe you've been on the other side of that too, where the person that you're talking to isn't listening to you at all. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, but you know they're not really listening to you, and despite uh, you saying something several times, you just know at the end of the day the trash isn't going to get taken out. That's how that works, right? They weren't listening. So the goal uh, for us in this place is to bless other people. And last week we talked about that begins with God. It begins with us asking God, God, how can you use me to bless other people today? And then the second letter is L. And the L stands for, we've talked about it uh, already today, listen, listen. And specifically, the goal is to listen to Frank. Frank, Frank's not your uncle. Frank's not your neighbor. Frank is your friends, your relatives, your acquaintances, your neighbors, your co-workers, or if you want to put colleagues in that last one, it will work as well. We want to listen to Frank. And the reason that L is here is because simply shutting your lips and opening your ears and really listening to someone else, at the end of the day, That is one of the greatest gifts that you can ever give somebody else. Being present, being uh, practicing the presence of Jesus, being the ears of Jesus in their life uh, by listening may be as powerful as anything you can ever say. I love this line, listening lays the foundation for you to be able to speak later. I think that's true. When we listen to people, then we create a doorway into which we can speak at some later point. And so the secret to listening today, I want you to write this down, is this. Replace your assumptions with questions. Replace your assumptions with questions. And we find this secret in the middle of this story about Jesus in Luke chapter 18. I want you to put yourself in the middle of the story so you don't miss anything. I want you to uh, imagine yourself as one of uh, Jesus's disciples. Uh, he, he probably was going along the road to, through Jer- Jericho to Jerusalem with a larger crowd than just the 12. There, were prob- there could have been uh, 100 or more uh, maybe, you know, m- maybe more than that. I don't know. There was a large crowd of his disciples, not just the 12, who were following him on his way to Jerusalem. They had to go through a town called Jericho. And so he's traveling and he wasn't really looking for somebody to heal that day. He's approaching the city of Jericho. It's one of the last stops on the way to Jerusalem because everybody is going to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. That's why everybody is on their way. And so uh, it will come to be the last week of Jesus' life. He is headed to Jerusalem. He knows that a cross is waiting at the end of that week. 
And so because it's the Passover, there are tons of other pilgrims and passengers who are also on their way to Jerusalem. And they are probably on the same road as Jesus. And so we could picture very easily a first century traffic jam on the road, whatever that looks like. But the road is totally packed. And somewhere on the side of the road, there's this blind guy. Beside all of these people that are filing by, there's this blind guy, and he hears the crowds, and he knows that something, he knows Passover, he knows there's people on the road, but he hears something change in the crowd. He hears the crowd get a little bigger. Why? Because he has a superpower. His superpower was listening, listening. One of the natural consequences of blindness is that you learn to listen. I remember a teacher telling us a story about um, him doing a, an experiment in the room, and he had uh, some students, and in the back of the room, he had a blind student. And he said, uh, I want everybody to close your eyes, and I want you to guess what I'm going to drop on my desk. And so he did that, and he dropped what was in his hand. Everybody's eyes were closed, and immediately, all the students said, Money. That's money. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I dropped change from my hand. I dropped a, a single coin from my hand. And the blind student in the back said, that's a dime. Why? Because when you can't see, you get really, really good at listening. And that's where this guy is. He's really good at listening. And someone tells him the reason the crowd just swelled, the reason is that Jesus is passing by. And the blind man clearly has heard of Jesus, and he begins to cry out to Jesus, have mercy on me. He's at the top of his lungs because he's got to go over the crowd. Have mercy on me, Jesus. And the disciples of Jesus start yelling at him, tell, telling him to stand down, man, be quiet. And I always wondered why that is. Uh, one commentator says that it was very uh, common as rabbis would walk along the road with their disciples that they would also be teaching. And that's probably what Jesus is doing. He's using these last hours together on the way to Jerusalem, and he's imparting truth. He's telling stories. He's doing what he needs to do to get his disciples prepared for what's to come, and he's teaching them. And they probably just want to listen, right? And here's this guy making a bunch of noise. And so, stand down, man. Be quiet. We can't hear, we can't hear Jesus and what he's teaching, but Jesus hears him because that just makes him yell louder, right? <laughs> and Jesus decides that this man is worth a detour. And so he stops where he didn't plan on stopping. And his disciples bring this man to him. They're in a place where they can talk. And I want you to look at verse 41. And if it's in your Bible, uh, I want you to consider under underlining it. If it's in your, uh, it's in your bulletin, I know, uh, you can underline it there. What does Jesus say? He asks a question. He says of the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Here's a blind man. He knows who Jesus is. He's crying out for mercy. He's crying to Jesus, help me. And that somehow brings Jesus' entourage to a halt. And the crowds with Jesus are maybe a little miffed that he's done this. And everyone knows what this guy needs because he's blind. 
How do you want to help him, Jesus? Well, just heal him, and so we can get on our way. We don't have time for a mass healing today. We've got to get on to the important stuff in Jerusalem. But Jesus doesn't rush. Jesus pulls back. He stops. He doesn't assume anything. And I want you to I want you to understand that. Here's the creator of the universe who already knows the heart's desire of every person. He knows exactly what this blind man needs. He can see it, and yet he doesn't automatically ask. He steps back. He asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? And it seems like a silly question because Jesus knows the guy is blind. Shouldn't have to ask right? Why does Jesus ask what the blind man wants? And I believe that this story tells us uh, something about Jesus in addition to the fact that he could heal people, that he was the creator of the universe, that he could make blind people see. In addition to that, I believe it's also showing us that Jesus was a person who didn't assume that he knew what people needed. I want you to think about that. We have a God who isn't always going to assume what you need, even though he always knows what you need. Turns out that listening is a super critical ingredient to living out the mission of Jesus. And so Jesus drops his assumptions. He stands back and he asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? And then he listens. He listens. One of the mistakes that we can make when we try to go out and just bless people is to uh, rightly think that people on the mission for Jesus are just out doing good things for other people and kind stuff for other people whenever they can. And that's true. That, that is true. That's partly true. But the mistake that we make is to automatically assume that we know what somebody else needs. We don't always know. And that's why the L is here. We need to listen. Just doing nice stuff for people, assuming that we already know what is best for someone, is no different than queuing up the next thing that you're going to say in the conversation without ever dialing in to what the person in front of you is talking about. It's the same thing. And so we can do really great things. We can decide that our neighbor needs a cake, okay? So we bake a cake for our neighbor. We ice it because it's the best thing we know to do, but without listening, we might unknowingly drop that cake into the hands of a diabetic, right? And we could all agree that that's just lousy all the way around. Everybody's frustrated when that happens. What we need to do first and what we need to do most is listen. Listen. Jesus listened. What do you want me to do for you? There's a guy named Rene Lenec, and in 1816, he invented uh, an instrument that was revolutionary at the time. You know uh, exactly when you see it, you'll know it. This is a stethoscope. Yeah, stethoscope. Uh, he invented this so that a, a doctor could listen to uh, the heart really well, so that a doctor could listen to the lungs really well. But he was really hesitant about putting this invention in the hands of doctors. Why? He said this, if you use this tool, he was really worried that his doctors would stop listening to their patients. He says, if you use this tool, don't stop listening to your patients. 
Why? Because they are telling you how to heal them. He didn't want doctors just to listen to hearts and lungs with his invention. He wanted to make sure that doctors still listened to their patients because they're really telling you what they need. Isn't that a great principle? That's a good principle for us. We have to listen to people, to listen to our community, to listen to our workplaces, to listen to our classmates, to listen to our families, to listen to their hurts, to listen to their needs, the wounds of those that God has placed in our path. And we need to listen for what they really, really need. And there are no shortcuts to be able to do that really, really well. And so replace your assumptions with questions. That's secret uh, number one. If you don't get anything else out of the sermon, get that line. Replace your assumptions with questions because questions force us to listen to other people. Questions will help us to listen um, to what we need to listen to. And what we need to listen to is people and places. People and places. We need to ask questions with a blank slate Get, a, get rid of your predetermined answers. And here's some questions that I'm going to throw out, you, out for you just to get you started, just to help, okay? Here's question number one. What do they need? What do they need? You could phrase it up, what do you need, right? What do you need? A missionary group went to India to serve uh, the poor in a very remote village. And this missionary group showed up with all kinds of supplies and all kinds of programs and all kinds of skilled workers ready to transform this village into a place of health and a place of vitality. And so where they went was really uh, a slum. People were just living in lean-tos and makeshift places. And so they got all the people together and they discussed some options with those people. They said... Here's what we could do. We could build a medical clinic to help take care of the hurting and the sick. We could do that. We have all the supplies. We have the manpower to do that. Or we could build a school to provide education so the next generation could maybe work their way out of poverty and wouldn't have to live in a slum like this. Or we could build a church so that you could gather on the weekends and learn about God. And they said, what do you want us to do for you? That sounds a lot like the question Jesus asked. The people of the village said, we need a mailbox. A what? A mailbox. That's, that's what we need. Missionaries are like, wait, wait a minute. We, we, we can give you a school. We can give you a church building. We can give you a hospital. But you need a mailbox. A mailbox. People said, yes, what we really need most is a mailbox. They were pretty much unanimous in that. And what the missionaries didn't realize is that if you live in a slum in India and you don't have a zip code, then no zip code means that you do not exist on a map of India. And even if you're a slum or a community of 10 or 20,000 people, if you don't have a zip code in your place, then you are not recognized for anything and therefore you're not eligible for social services from the government. And so the only way to get these people on the map was to get them and to get them help from the government was to have a zip code. And the only way to have a zip code is to have a mailbox. We need a mailbox. People didn't want a school or a medical clinic or a church first. They just wanted to be put on a map. They wanted to have their own identity. They wanted to become a recognized part of their own country. And the missionaries wouldn't have known that unless they had listened first. 
And so it was no small task even to get a mailbox. It took them two years to work through the bureaucracy of the Indian government to get registered for this community to receive a mailbox. But once they did, it changed the game for these people and their village began to be restored and to bless. We're going to have to ask people, what do you need? What do you want me to do? And then we're going to need to listen to the hurts and the needs and the wounds and the frustration of all of those people that God has put in our path. Listen for what they really need. Here's question number two that you might be able to ask. Where are they? Or where are you? Where are you? When we say we need to listen to people, we're not just talking about the words that come out of their mouths. What we're talking about also is listening to what's really going on in people's lives, to get behind the words that they're saying. The goal is to understand where they are relationally, where they are physically, where they are emotionally, where they are spiritually. And something that might help is to think of uh, real estate. We've, We've all heard of the most important thing in real estate, that phrase, the most important real thing in real estate is location, location, location. Yes, you got it. Maybe that's not just true of real estate. That's also true of people. Where are you? Everybody has a location that they're at. Dr. John Gottman is the re- leading researcher on why marriages succeed and why they fail. And his research discovered that one of the keys to a successful marriage is this, that happily married couples know their spouse's location most of the time. In other words, they know where their spouse is most of the time relationally and emotionally and spiritually and physically. On the other hand, unhappy couples think that they know where their spouse is, but they really don't. And the difference is that happily married couples ask questions of each other. What are you most excited about right now? What are you most concerned with right now? Maybe they don't even have to ask those questions in a very strict you know, format because those kind of questions are just built into the natural conversations that they've learned to have with one another. And so however it's done, the bottom line is that successfully married people know each other's location. You know where I am and I know where you are. And when it comes to our uh, discovering our mission as a church, as a Christian, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, in our schools, we have to listen for the location of people. We can't just assume that we know what to do for people that we come in contact with. We need to know where they are so that we can ask, what do you need? What challenges do you have? How can I help you? There's a story that's told from the very early years of Christianity about this monk who lived all alone out in the desert. And he would pray and meditate and study the scriptures all alone out in the desert. And then just a couple of times a year, he would go into the town that was close by so that he could get supplies. He would interrupt his prayer and study for that. And whenever he would show up in town, people would realize he was there and they would line up uh, forever to see him. They would line up outside the hut where they knew he was staying, and they wanted to talk to him. 
there was a guy who was going through town and he saw this big line. He got started asking questions. What's, what's the deal? What's going on? Somebody told him what, was, what the deal was and he wondered why in the world people would stand in line for hours and hours, sometimes days, just to get in and talk to this monk. What would he possibly say that was so profound that people would want to do that? And so he thought, eh, I don't have much to do. I'll just get in line, see for myself. And so he waited in his line, in line in his turn, and hours and hours went by. Finally, he got to go in, and he sat down across from this holy man, and what he discovered was this. The monk didn't say anything. He had nothing to say. He just listened. And people really need to be listened to. In our world, people want desperately to be heard. Now, maybe you think that that's outdated. It is not. There's a performance artist named Marina Abramovich. And a few years ago at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, she set up a piece of performance art called The Artist is Present. And all it consisted of was 700 hours of her sitting in a chair with a table in front of her and a chair on the other side of the table. And she invited anybody who wanted to come to sit in that other chair. And her performance art lasted 700 hours. She did it from a certain time in the morning to a certain time at night, and then they would reconvene the next day. And every day she had hours and hours of people standing in line so that they could sit in that chair across from her while she said nothing. Famous people. Marissa Tomei took her turn. Isabella Rossellini, Lou Reed, Rufus Wainwright. Why in the world would people want to do this? Mostly, I think, it's because people want somebody to listen to them. The question is, are we listening? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon no longer be listening to God either. Listen to people. Here's the third question that you might be able to use. What are they telling me? What are they telling me? We cannot bless our world without listening to people, but we also need to listen to places. And we need to listen to our community. Our community is a place. Our city is a place. Our church is a place. Your school is a place. Your workplace is a place. Okay? And so in regard to these places, especially our community, I want to give you a very simple uh, practice. Um, Maybe some of you uh, recognize some papers on one of the little uh, stands here in the foyer. There are not a lot of them. We got maybe, maybe 30 of them. And what we want you to do, if you are a small group leader or a life group leader, we want you to take a paper, okay, on your way out. And in your life group this week, in your small group tonight, wherever that meets, whatever, however that looks, we want your small group to read the paper front to back. Front to back. Take a pen, take a highlighter, and just highlight any of the needs that you come across. And then after that's done, ask each other, is there something that stands out? Is there something that we can do to meet one of these needs? Is there something that we're passionate about so that uh, to the point there we can really step up and make a difference in our community? 
And if we listen, our community will tell us what it needs. And let, let's, let's be real transparent here. I mean, this last week, if we didn't really hear the struggles of our community, it's on the front page, right? Then we weren't listening. With the developments at Mercy, there will be hundreds and scores of opportunities for us to discover, to discover how we can help most. Maybe, maybe, some, you know, maybe somebody in here is able to bring a new hospital in. Maybe you have those kind of connections. Most of us don't. But all of us have this ability to go in our backyard, across the fence, to somebody who has been affected by that decision and to say, how can I help you? How can I meet a need? What do you need from me? What can I do for you? And we listen. The places we live and work are constantly speaking, and we'll hear them if we just listen. Let me close with two challenges. First challenge, every day, ask God for help to listen so that you'll know how to bless people. Every day, ask God for help to listen so that you'll know how to bless people. Here's challenge number two. When, whenever you're with your life group, with your small group, talk about what you hear. Talk about what you read in the paper. Talk about what you read on Facebook or your social uh, media uh, feed. Uh, talk about those bulletin board items that you saw. Talk about those things that are posted on doors of businesses downtown because you'll find an organization that needs volunteers. You'll find somebody that needs help. You'll find something. Talk about that with your small group. Talk about what you hear and then ask, how can we bless someone because we've listened? How can you bless somebody because you've listened? Jesus heard one man's voice in the middle of a crowd of people, and he asks, what do you want me to do for you? And every day we come into contact with people who nobody cares about, nobody listens to, and may we be those people who are transformed into people who are willing to listen with the heart of Jesus, with the ears of Jesus, so that we can help bless people who need blessed. Here's the invitation today. It's that question that Jesus asked of this guy. What do you want me to do for you? That's the invitation. Because I think, I think if Jesus was here, he would ask you that same question. He would ask me that same question. What do you want me to do for you? Why are you here? Why do you come here on a Sunday morning? What do you want me to do for you? I wonder if we've ever taken the time to answer that question for ourselves. What do I need from Jesus? Am I after forgiveness? Do I, do I need healing? Do I need salvation? Because I'm pretty afraid of the grave being the end. What I am looking for is life. You've come to the right place. It fascinates me that this blind guy is suddenly with sight and the text says he started following Jesus, which means he, started, he followed Jesus in a physical form for about a week and a half. And he followed Jesus in the last week of his life. Do you remember what happened the last week of Jesus' life? Well, it ended with a cross. And I wonder if this blind guy who can now see 
is now seeing the cross. I wonder if he's seeing a savior buried into a tomb. And I wonder if three days later, if he's not seeing a risen savior, all because he was willing to listen first. What's Jesus telling you today? What do you need from him? Father, thank you that you listen to us. I thank you that you've listened well enough that you understood what we needed, that we are sinners, that we are separated from you with no way to restore that relationship. And so you sent your son, Jesus, to die the death that we deserved so that we could be in a right relationship with you. You knew what we needed. You listened to us, and then you responded. Father, help us to do that today. Help us to listen to the voice of Jesus as he calls us and says, I've got a better life for you if you'll just turn that life over to me. I will make it so that you can see the life you're really supposed to have. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in this room and give that life to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.